morning and welcome to Workplace Wisdom, your source for workplace laws, trends, thoughts, and ideas. I'm your host, Eric Clark, partner at Pumps and Hine in the Labor and Employment Group. Today we have April Miller Boys. April has nearly 25 years of experience in and around the C-suite and corporate boards of a wide variety of public and large privately held corporations. April is currently a senior vice president at Meritor Inc., although by the time you listen to this, uh, she may be starting a new position. Uh, congrats on that. Um, April has vast experience in global markets, global and national transactions, joint ventures, and mergers and acquisitions. April is an active member in the business and charitable community with current and past roles on the boards of Federal Home Loan Bank, University Hospital Systems, Cleveland Marshall School of Law. And honestly, I could keep going on, but we want to keep this podcast down about 20 minutes or so. So April, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Eric. So great to be here and always great to see you in person. Likewise, April. Thanks. April, there are so many things you could talk about and really help our listeners, but we picked something today that is applicable to every person in every workplace around the world, and that's how to win at your career. Yeah, this is something that I'm really passionate about, so I'm so pleased that you asked me to join you for this conversation. Great. So April, you have a group of things that can help people. I don't know that we'll have time to get through all of them, but let's jump right in and do as many as we can today. Great. Looking forward to it. All right. So the first thing I see here that you recommend that people have a vision of what success looks like for them and and that they create a plan to get there. Yeah, so I think you really, as you're thinking about building your career and continuing your career, even if you're you know middle management or senior management, you really need to be, you, you want to have a clear vision of what that looks like for you, right? Because people have different ideas of how they want to become successful. And somebody might say, hey, I want to be a general counsel or... I love what I'm doing. I just want to do it every day from nine to five. And so being really clear about what that success is to you will help you better define um, how you're going to get there and how do you shape your day-to-day and your short-term, medium, and long-term goals. What if someone has various visions of success for them, at least in the long term? So, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a young lawyer and I'm interested in, in maybe being a successful partner law firm, that might be one path to success. Another path might be general counsel of a, of a corporation, or even uh, you know another path might be moving into a business role down the line. H- how does how does someone take each of those? Do they create separate plans for those, or what's your idea? No, that's a good question, and certainly, clearly, you want to have optionality because you don't know today exactly you know what your career is going to look like five, 10, 15, 25 years from now. I certainly didn't know when I was a young lawyer that I would you know end up on a corporate board and as a you know a partner in a law firm and then a general counsel, a managing partner. And so you want to have that optionality, but I also think you want to be clear in writing down what some of your goals are. And you can change it every single year and every quarter and every month if you want to. But the idea is that you have a target and a, a clear goal that you're looking to attain right now. And there are some steps that you're going to work to work on to move towards that. Again, you may change your mind in a year or two years, but these are like um, bricks, right? So you're, you're using these bricks to build to something greater. And, you know, as you're building this wall, it, it may look really different at the end. But you need to be um, really methodical and thinking through some of those steps that are going to help you get there. Great. Excellent. There it is. Excellent. Let's move on to the next one, which is take charge of your career, take initiative, be proactive. Uh, Give us some ideas of what type of actions or or proactive methods you recommend for people at sort of early career, mid-career versus late career. Again, I think it goes back to intentionality. And the, the idea here is that I've seen too many young people in their career 
who think, you know, I'm going to go into this organization, I'm going to put my head down, I'm going to do really good work, I'm going to work hard and execute all my projects, and someone is just going to notice me, and they're going to say, wow, April's doing such a good job, you know, we want to get her new experiences, move her into a lateral role, or, you know, promote her. It just doesn't happen that way, and you need to really be um, your own advocate and be proactive in thinking about what do I want to do next? And how is the work that I'm doing here gonna help me get there? And having those conversations in your office with your peers and with your managers and you know people who are in different parts of the organization, just again, really being proactive and not just kind of sitting in your space and doing good work and thinking that that is going to be enough, because it really is not. This seems to match really well with the first tip that you gave, which is that you wanna have a vision of what success looks like and then and create that plan. And then part two is sort of execute on that plan, making sure you're getting the opportunities that would lead you to that final plan. Exactly, and I don't want people to be in a place, because I've seen this happen too, where people will say, well, you know, I had a bad manager, or so-and-so didn't promote me, or so-and-so, you know, wasn't really looking out for my career. You know, if you start with the idea that it is really your responsibility, right? You need to be taking charge of your own career, not that it's all within your hands, but you have a significant role to play in making sure that you, you know, you're getting the opportunities or at least trying to get the opportunities that you really want. So don't, you know, put your career in somebody else's hands. You know, th- that is such a great point. Every one of us at some point in our, in our careers has had a bad manager or coworker, uh, and it would be easy to let that sort of deride our entire career, derail our entire career. But by, by finding a way to sort of manage through that, it really helps us move our career along. Absolutely. Great. All right, let's go to number three, know your strengths and weaknesses. Give us a little background on that. Yeah, so this one I think is really important. There is, I don't know if you're familiar with this, um, you know, Gallup has a book called Strength Finders, and I'm a really big fan of that. Uh, It's it's an assessment that people can take. You buy the book, it's not very expensive. There's an online tool that you answer a bunch of questions, and I think there are 20 or so characteristics Um, that it will divide people into. And when you do this strength finders tool, it's gonna say, here's your bottom 10 and your top 10. And then it's gonna say, here's your top five, right? And so the idea is that things that are in the bottom 10, you are really bad at, you know, they're just, you're just not strong in those areas. And I think historically, you know, people tended to want to say, these are some areas that you can improve your, these are your weaknesses work on getting better at your weaknesses. But the idea behind this assessment tool is that you have your top five, things that you're naturally very good at, and then you have your next top five. And the idea here is that you really should be working on those next top five. You have your top five that are core, the next top five you're pretty good at already. So work on getting better at those things and know what your weaknesses are and think about that as you're thinking about opportunities and roles and developing teams, right? So if you have things that you're really bad at, that should not be a core part of your job. But you also want to think about being on a team with people who are really good at those things, right? So that's the whole idea of doing this assessment because then you understand your team dynamics, right? And so if you're a big extrovert, um, you want to think about that in the types of roles that you may be really good at. And so I just think it's so important for people to really understand what they're good at. Another assessment that we use um, at Meritor a lot is called DISC. And it just helps you think like, am I a thinker and a planner and I need everything to be perfect? I need to do all the math and all the calculations. 
before I would present it? Or am I kind of the opposite, which says, hey, I have an idea, I'm a big idea person, I don't really need the details, I'm just gonna run with the idea and talk about the idea. And you wanna have both of those kind of people on the team, right? And so there's lots of different uh, assessments that, that organizations use, like Deloitte has one, which is great. But the idea, again, is to try to understand what you're good at and, yeah. and use that to help build your career. So instead of focusing on kind of fixing my weaknesses, I actually make my my sort of second competencies excellent, just like my top five competencies. Exactly. Uh, interesting. Uh, that certainly is contra some of the wisdom that was given maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Absolutely. But seems much more in the in the common stream now. Yeah, I highly recommend that um, that resource. I, I, I think it's great. I should note, we're not sponsored by Gallup or any of their publications. Uh, so, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> but, but April loves it, and that's yeah, enough. Yeah, I think those tools are great. All right, so let's talk about uh, the next one here is become an expert at what you do and be exceptional. So this is important because I think, um, you know, millennials maybe get a bad rap. Everybody thinks that, you know, they start in the job and next one, next month, next year, um, they want to be the CEO, right? They're bored and they want to, you know, move up into leadership. And, and there's a little bit of truth to that. Um, the idea here is that you need to really take time to be an expert in your field at whatever that is, right? You need to be really good at something and that is really what you're selling in the workplace and so before you have that expertise you can't really be in charge you can't be leading other people and it just takes time to build that expertise you know um, Malcolm Gladwell in his book uh, talks about the 10,000 hour rule right and the 10,000 hours is like eight years eight to ten years depending on you know how many hours you're putting in each year by the way I wish we were sponsored by Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> <laughs> We love his podcast too. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the whole idea there is that you have to put in the work to become exceptional. There just really is not a shortcut for that. And then once you have that expertise, no one can take that away from you. And that is really what you're selling. And so take the time to do that. I'm not saying, no. you know, do nothing else for 10 years, but know that you're just building that expertise and that credibility hour by hour by hour. Yeah. You know, it's funny. People do think millennials sometimes want to sort of jump too soon to the next level. But I feel like Generation X, which I'm a part of, was as guilty of that or more guilty of that than, than millennials even were. Um, but, what, you know, one of the things I think people get worried about with becoming an expert or sort of getting into a niche is they'll get pigeonholed into that niche and never really be able to move out of the, the individual contributor role into something bigger or broader because they will only have that. How, how, do, you, how do you advise people deal with that situation? Yeah, that's a good question, um, and certainly you don't want to get pigeonholed, but I think, you know, you're, you're building an expertise, and it doesn't mean that your expertise and your knowledge can only be used in one area, right? You certainly want to have optionality, um, but you can take that skill set and that knowledge and think about other things that you can do with that, but if you don't have that kind of based knowledge and expertise, what, what is it that you're really selling, right? What are you bringing to the organization? And if you're just jumping around too much and never really um, becoming an expert at anything, it's going to be hard. Eventually, you're going to wake up, and I think it's going to be hard to be well-placed. And somebody is going to say, you know, what is what am I buying from Eric? You know, what, where do I fit him into the organization? Because what kind of expertise and experience has he built in the time that he's been here? Gotcha. Great advice. All right, let's go to the next one. This may be my favorite of all of your, of all of your uh, tips for for success, and it's know your organization and how it defines organizational success. And what this really sounds like to me is is sort of know the game and the definition of winning. 
it reminds me a little of my of my 13 year old Noah. Um, we play a lot of board games as, as a family, and whenever we open a new board game, I'll start going through the rules and explaining how to play. But but Noah inevitably interrupts me and says, "Dad, how do you win?" Um, and that's that's sort of what this strikes me as when I read it. No, that's exactly right. And so, I mean, I'll use an example as a lawyer, right? And so you could go to many, many organizations and be a lawyer in-house and represent that organization. And in your mind, you might be thinking, all of those roles are the same and they, you know, they're equally interesting to me. But that's really, to me, the exact wrong way to think about your career and the value that you're adding to an organization. First, you need to really understand the organization, right? Where does the organization fit in in the food chain, the supply chain? How does the organization think about winning? Who are the competitors? Who are the customers? What's the competitive environment like? And what is the organization trying to accomplish? And when you really understand that, then you can be more effective in your role, right? If you're just thinking about just your role and not the entire organization, I think you're setting yourself up either for failure or just to be you know, pigeonholed and not a significant contributor to your organization, right? Because you're thinking of yourself as just, you know, I'm just making widgets or providing widgets to my organization, regardless of what the organization does. And I think the most successful um, executives and contributors, it's because they really understand their organization and what the organization is trying to accomplish. And again, I think especially with lawyers sometimes, um, you know, we get into this little I'm just going to sit in my office and answer legal questions and, you know, wait for people to come and ask me a question and I will say yes or no, or this is why. Um, And I think that's exactly the wrong way to think about your career. You need to really be out embedded in the business and really understand what the, what the business is trying to accomplish. So you can really be a trusted advisor that knows the business and can give your advice in that context. You know, I think that's great advice, not just for people embedded in the business, but also outside lawyers. Right. For me, knowing how my organization defines success or my client defines success, that's how I need to define it uh, as an outside lawyer. I can't just Absolutely. sort of spin my wheels off on a case or a, a negotiation or an arbitration. I need to know how they define success and try to accomplish that. For that particular piece of right. uh, litigation or arbitration or dispute. Absolutely. Right. And different, different clients define it differently. So that's an important thing up front for any engagement. Um, all right. The next one is stay visible by promoting yourself and your successes. Uh, it's okay to brag sometime. All right. So this is a tough one. You know, I feel like people need some suggestions or tips from you on how to sort of best accomplish this. So this is kind of, we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's, you know, don't just put your head down and do good work and think that you're going to be noticed, right? So when you do something and, and you do have some success, you want people to know about that, right? Because um, you want them to be able to use that to think about you in a different environment or a different situation. Wow, Eric was so successful here. I could see him having success in this other area. Or we could use him in a very similar situation in a different part of the company. And you have to be careful about how you do it, certainly. And you know, sometimes, for example, if you're working with a team, you can talk about the success of the team. Look at what we accomplished. I want to make sure that everyone understands the problem we were facing and how we dealt with that. Um, and whether you're talking to you know peers in other parts of the organization or your manager or your manager's manager, you know, couching it in a way that you're helping them understand 
how you solved a problem for the organization. And again, maybe it wasn't you alone, you know, maybe it was you and the team. And, and using those kinds of words and that kind of language, I think, goes a long way. Well, it's a great point, and it goes to one of your earlier ones about getting a lot of mentors involved and advisors. I mean, to the extent you're on a team or to the extent that you can you can promote the team that you were involved in or your mentors or your advisors, it sort of brings your success along with it as you're promoting other folks. Absolutely. In a more humble version of that. Totally Great. Building trusting relationships across the organization, always valuable for anyone in any career. What types of suggestions do you have for folks on how to do that? Yeah, I think this is especially important for people who are in larger organizations, and I mean, even smaller organizations, but they tend to be a little bit easier to maneuver. So if you're in a really big, you know, global organization with lots of people all over the globe, lots of different functions and business units, it's really easy to get siloed and to just, you know, understand the organization from your perspective, understand people from your perspective, understand the business challenges from your perspective. And so I really encourage people to build relationships across the organization. So if you're in legal, right, building relationships with people in treasury and external reporting, people in the business units, people in HR, people in shared services, you know, people who are in Europe, people who are in Brazil, who just see the organization very differently, it's just going to give you a window into the organization from their perspective. And I think, again, it just makes you better at your job and it gives you a broader view of what's going on in the relation in the organization. So building those trusting relationships, you know, people are only going to share information with you if they um, have a relationship with you, a, a trusting relationship with you, and that takes time. And so I just really encourage people to do that, whether it's through, you know, lunches or working on a committee that's not specific to your job or your location or your function and just building those relationships across the organization in order to use that you know to be able to utilize that information um, as you're thinking about how do you best serve the organization the next one we have is expanding your network outside the office i mean what you say here is who you know is as important as as what you know let's let's focus on there's a lot of ways that we could approach this but let's, let's talk about somebody who moves to a new city, takes a job in a new city that maybe they're not familiar with. What kind of things should that person be doing? Sure. So I think for me, the focus, again, is you're building network, your network inside your organization, but you also want to have a network outside of your organization. Number one, it's going to give you a different perspective on your organization. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. It might be people in your neighborhood. It might be people who you meet at your yoga class. It might be... You know, you join a board of a nonprofit, something that you're passionate about, and you meet people through that organization as well. Um, those are some of the ways I would think about building that network. Um, but again, the idea is you you want to be getting information from more than one source, right? So you're again, you're gathering information about your organization from people within the organization, but also people outside of the organization. Okay, and so uh, people should be active, is what it seems like you're saying, active in their community active in their neighborhood and active in their workplace. And you hear the phrase, never eat lunch alone, periodically, certainly seems like, like something that's appropriate here. But I mean, should people, if they, don't, if they don't have an activity, how do they pick what they're gonna be active in in the community? Yeah, that's a really good question. For me, I, mean, I think it needs to be a balance. So I want it to be something that I'm passionate about, right? I don't wanna just you know, kind of volunteer my time, lots of hours um, in investing in something that is just really not that important to me. So I think number one, Thinking about things that are going on in the community that are important to you, that you're passionate about, whether it's the arts, social services, whatever that is, 
But for me, it's also important that I be getting something back from that organization, whether I'm like learning a new skill or um, you know networking with people that I want to build relationships with. So it's those two things together because I can just be you know contributing a lot of time and volunteering, but our time is limited. And so I also want to get something back that's valuable to me in addition to just kind of the feel good. So when I was much younger in my career, for example, I may have wanted to, you know, like be on an audit committee because I just wanted to have that experience or to do something um, maybe that was different than what I did in my day job. And so think about that as you're thinking about those opportunities. How can you do a little bit of both? It seems like part of that, what you were talking about, is is finding the right people that that maybe can become your mentors or advisors that are on those boards. Sure, absolutely. That that could be the case. Great. And and sort of one of the things you were hitting on there goes a little bit to our next point, which is you're limited on time, and so what you need to do is prioritize, prioritize, prioritize. How do you do that in what is undoubtedly a very busy life that you lead? I think that's so important because, you know, we just – We have access to so much information, and so much information is pushed at us all the time, whether it's, you know, social media, just through the internet, and your email box, right, your inbox, you probably have a Gmail box, you have your work email box, and so you need to be really thoughtful about what are the things that I'm trying to accomplish, whether for work or personally, in the short term, medium term, and long term, and how am I therefore going to plan my day, plan my week, plan my quarter, plan my year around that? If you're constantly just reacting, reacting, reacting to everything that's coming into your inbox every day, you're probably not working on the things that are the right priority, right? So you can you can think about things that are seem urgent um, versus things that are important. And sometimes, you know, the urgent is what's urgent is not important. You might have things that are urgent and important. You might have things that are urgent and unimportant, or things that are really important but not not urgent. How are you ever going to get to those, right? You can only do that if you really are prioritizing what you're. I mean, it's a great point because you can look at it just in terms of priorities at work, but really you have priorities in terms of family, your health, uh, and then work as well. And then, you know, even within, then you have friends or extended family, but within each of those, you may have different priorities or things like that 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 need done. Um, And it's really difficult to manage all of those, but finding time and budgeting time for each of those is an important piece of all of us. Absolutely. And I I have a friend who um, unfortunately is not with us anymore, but she said something to me once um the the takeaway is you can't do everything and you can't necessarily do everything well and so she said to me once when i was kind of a young lawyer and feeling really overwhelmed a young mom you know had school-aged children um partner at a firm she said you know not everything deserves 100 percent." and i think that's kind of counterintuitive right we think like no if i'm going to do this i'm going to give it 100 percent." but she said you know something 70 percent is enough and that's okay, and be okay with that. And I think there are other things that you're going to have to just decide, I can't do, right? You can't do everything, and you can't do everything well, and so you have to decide where those priorities are. Well, it goes, it sort of blends very well into some of your other discussions, which are know your strengths and know the things that are that are secondary strengths and, and let the other things go a little bit. Some things deserve zero, but also some things deserve 70%. But what we should emphasize, of course, part of being an expert is some things do deserve 100%. Absolutely. And knowing what those are and focusing on those are the key. So for me, the 70% would be like the bake sale at school. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to bake anything, right? I'm going to have to buy something from the store right. and be okay with that. Yeah, right? that's for 70%. Some people, for some people, they might think, hey, I've got to you know, bake something from scratch. 
Uh, the fake sales school is probably a zero percent for me, but that <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I think it's an easy example. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, great. Uh, let's move on to our next one. Um, and so I know I've said this a couple times, but this is probably my overall favorite. Um, and it's the last one I think we're going to talk about today, which is conduct a self-assessment of yourself each year. And when I read this, the first thing thought, that I thought about was this is not just a professional assessment, but also a personal assessment. I mean, doing an assessment of yourself every year personally and professionally seems like a great way to review yourself, but also helps sort of set up the circle to the first thing we talked about, which is create a vision of what success looks like. So go ahead and talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you summed it up beautifully. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I think just because of the calendar that we have, um, January or December is a really good time to do this because, you know, we think about starting the new year. And so I think, you know, we talked earlier about having a plan, short-term, medium-term, long-term plan of what success looks like. You should also be writing that out. And so this is a great opportunity to look back at that plan and reflect what did I accomplish? Did I do the things I thought I wanted to do? Where, where did I focus? Where was I successful? Where do I you know, maybe need to work more next year? And again, going back to the plan you set for this year and then saying, okay, I'm gonna set a new plan, which I'm gonna write out for next year. But I just think it's such a great time for um, reflection and then planning. Again, not that your plan is gonna be perfectly executed but if you don't write it down or you haven't even thought about it, you're kind of just, um, you know, you know, walking blindly through the world, if you will, and allowing just things to happen to you without you having any um, kind of intentional impact on where you're going, which I think is, is not a good way to go. You know, this, this uh, reminds me a little bit of something I do every year. I read, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years ago, uh, something that said that of New Year's resolutions, which people make on a regular basis, uh, only about uh, 20% of them are su- continue on beyond the first three months of the year, uh, that the other four out of five fail. And so what I started doing about 15 years ago was every year I come up with five New Year's resolutions that I do at the beginning of the year under the theory that one will sort of last out through, throughout the entire course of the year. And this, this self-assessment idea really creates an opportunity to identify, for me personally, what I refer to as the Eric Clark self-improvement plan <laughs> each and every year uh, that I can that I can start the new year with and then from those, I, I can really whittle down to two or three that I think are really important once I've done them for a few months and really focus on them and, and hopefully improve myself every year. Well, April, let me say thank you for doing this today. I know that you have a lot of other tips, but I want to be respectful of your time. And if uh, if you ever want to come back, we'd always be happy to have you. Absolutely. It was great to be here, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Workplace Wisdom. This is your host, Eric Clark. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out at eric.clark at thompsonhine.com. Thank you.